It's the Relevant Top 50, counting down the best music, TV, books, and movies of 2016. This Relevant Podcast miniseries is brought to you by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is an affordable, subscription-based stock media site that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage. Videoblocks also has a sister site, Audioblocks, that offers unlimited access to 130,000 premium music tracks, sound effects, and loops. Right now, Videoblocks is offering our listeners a year subscription to both Videoblocks and Audioblocks for only $149. It's an incredible discounted deal to get both stock video and audio files for any project. Get your year subscription today for only $149 at videoblocks.com relevant. That's V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash relevant for this discounted offer. Now here's the show. Welcome to Relevant Top 50, our weekly podcast miniseries counting down the best music, movies, books, and TV shows of 2016. I'm Jesse Carey, and here with me today is relevant top dog, Cameron Strang. <laughs> are you going to change it every week now? Every right. week. that's it's, People are going to tune right. in that's just to hear thing. how I change it up. Head right. honcho, top dog. It went from head honcho to top dog. I've got a whole, like, got I've got a whole you know, list of these that I'm going to go through the next couple this weeks. This dog bites. <laughs> Managing editor, <laughs> Rebecca Joe Flores. Hey, guys. Our editorial director, Aaron Hanbury. Hello, Hanbury, not B U R Y. It's now it's B E R R. It's actually pronounced Burry. Yeah. Well, as in, as in you, like Burberry, right? Like Burberry. <laughs> and finally, the man Burberry behind the dead. ones and twos, Chandler Strang. Hello, he's my brother. <laughs> so, in case this is the first episode you're turning in, we're we're on week three. So the other ones are in the archives, weeks one and two. And what we're doing is we're counting down the best pop culture releases of the year. Um, you know, a lot of every year we do like year end list recapping some of our favorite releases. But we decided to do one awesome podcast miniseries where not only do we list them all, but we get to talk about them and hear clips. Uh, so a quick recap from last week, in case you missed it, uh, we talked about at number forty two, Show Baraka's The Narrative. We also uh, talked about the Zach Galifianakis TV show Baskets, the documentary Almost Holy, Johnny Swims, Georgia Capond, A Very Good Gospel from Lisa Sharon Harper, Doctor Strange, The Late Late Show with James Corden, and War Paints Heads Up. So, so what's a what's a Capond? <laughs> a, a Georgia Capond. No, it's Georgia Capond. Georgia One Cup. of no, the themes uh, on this show George. is it's, the correct pr- pronunciation of things, it's, including it's Aaron's Georgica. last name. Maybe Pond. it's been the Johnny Swin album. <laughs> it's Georgica. <laughs> it could Pond. be the name George, and then like a it's Georgica. It, but Jesse pronounced it Georgia Capon. Georgia Capon. Yeah. I in the week in the in the last two weeks I consulted Johnny Swim and they said they gave me permission <laughs> to call it whatever I want. So uh, I'm standing <laughs> whatever, by Georgia whatever it means Capon. to you. If you can't fi- if your search results aren't pulling out the album, uh, blame my pronunciation. Um, but it is a great album. I hate to take take that away from it. All right. So the the third installment of the One Wild Life trilogy, Body, is Gunger at the most experimental at one moment and their most accessible the next. The album is an exploration of big ideas like birth, death, beauty, and even body shaming. It is full of worshipful ballads, indie pop anthems, and constantly surprising arrangements. Coming in at number 34, Gunger's One Wild Life, Body. Why? 
the things I dig about Gunger is they keep evolving. Mm-hmm. But then there's mm-hmm. bands that just experiment for experiment's sake, and yeah. it's like out there. But they have a melodic yeah. base to everything they're doing. That it's just it's beautiful mm-hmm. and, and it, yeah. But it's interesting and it's fresh. It's always new. It, the, the, the cool thing about this release, as we kind of mentioned in the intro, it is like the third installment of this like really high concept trilogy that they did an album based on Spirit, Soul, and this one, uh, you know, obviously Body. But I felt like this was the strongest out of the bunch because I feel like they're with Soul and Spirit, they're you know like thematically they're so similar. Where this, they could not just like thematically break into new. Uh, areas of exploration but it also like has uh uh like different i feel like the highs and lows of this album are much more dramatic than some of the others like there are Mm -hmm. those mellow moments like we just heard from from tree and then there's other songs on the on the record that are are, you know you want to turn up and and really kind of jam out to you know riding around in your car or whatever well case in point they have uh william matthews who's a worship artist on a track called free here it is So out of, like, unexpected for them. No, it's great. Oh, and, you know, one of the things I love about Gunger uh, always, and in this particular album, uh, or in this album in particular, is they just, they eschew cliches. You know, you, you yeah. take whatever genre of music they happen to be doing and look at the breadth of music out there, and, and they're not just putting together something that other people have put together lyrically or musically. So it, it always feels fresh well, to me. Well, that's the thing. Like, even if you're not a fan of, like, quote unquote like worship music which I don't even know if this really qualifies as a worship album though Gunger uh, has not anymore yeah not anymore yeah. but but uh, they used to yeah, yeah for sure I mean, they used, used to be like a, a worship corporate. artist but this, what I guess my point is like musically this is so advanced that even if you're not a fan of things that are typically done by artists who are in the worship space that this is a really interesting record Eschew you said askew that was the second pronunciation. Yeah, she but the primary it. pronunciation is a shoe. It was primary for, for people in, in England. England. <laughs> we we, we are, we are a mere eight minutes into this, and we've already had multiple arguments about pronunciations, and we haven't even mentioned <laughs> the whole Jordan medium yet. is about audio. audio. There's a whole website about how do you pronounce things. I've had to fire it up four different times before we started recording. <laughs> I wonder if they have an app we can get. Can we yeah. get the app? Wait, we're just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, we may or may not have an artist named Majid Jordan coming up, so uh, it's no. going to get real interesting. Uh, Majid? Majid. Majid. One of 2016 <laughs> most surprising breakout films. It currently holds a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is an Irish coming-of-age comedy called Sing Street mm. that's inspired by new wave music, the rise of the music video, and teenage romance. Taking cues from films like School of Rock and Rushmore, the film is about young misfits trying to find themselves through music in the midst of difficult home lives, bullies, and heartbreak. Coming in at number 33, Sing Street. Well, if this is the future, we're all screwed, aren't we? I mean, look at this guy. He's not even singing live. It's a video, Robert. It's art. Everybody's making them these days. Look at it. I mean, why can't they get them to play live? What are they trying to hide? It's because they're in the USA. Did you not hear them? And this lasts forever. It's the perfect mixture of music and visuals. 
It's short, to the point. Look at it. I mean, what tyranny could stand up to that? This was a really, I feel, this movie for me like kind of came out of nowhere. I just saw like a lot of critics talking about it when it was released. It's on Netflix right now for anyone who re- mm-hmm. who wants to see it. But it was totally surprising. But one of like, I, I love music. I love movies about music. Like I love like Almost Famous, I lo- even School of Rock, which is kind of more lighthearted. But yeah. that music is at the heart of this. There's a lot of musical moments, but particularly like an era that doesn't get covered a lot in film, which is like the rise of kind of new wave, which in modern music right now is having a big moment, kind of this synth heavy, smart pop. But this was a really fun, cool coming of age movie. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, one of the things I enjoyed about it in particular, uh, was the way that it went places that typically, um, lighthearted or comedic movies, especially about like teen bands and teen music, those kind of things didn't go. Uh, it has all the elements that are there, even of something as, 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 um, you know, pop level is like that thing you do or something like that. But in the end, the Jersey cool, boys, Jersey boys, uh, the musical <laughs> and, and the movie experience, uh, sound of music, <laughs> sound of music, singing in the rain. I, I, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. You, you name, you I name thought a, sound a movie that has music in it. And this is kind of <laughs> like those, um, yeah. no, by the end of it though, you realize that what you've been watching is a movie about two brothers, I think fundamentally. And yeah. I think that was a really effective ending that, um, it, it wasn't even necessarily just a, a romantic movie. Romance movies, rom coms. Yes. A shoe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ultimately, Sing Street is not just about um, a boy and a girl and how a band makes uh, the cool kid or the nerdy kid cool and get the girl. In the end, it's about uh, a younger, an older brother who had certain experiences that he was able to propel his little brother through uh, and see him advance. You, you would say maybe that it eschewed the typical uh, format did. for these it, types of films. It, so most <laughs> films go one direction and mm-hmm. this one came in and eschewed it. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think your opinion is askew. Can I say nope. that is no. that a proper word? Like, if it's off center, askew. Yes, correct. Is that that pr- is very askew. close to what yeah, it's, it's, he was so the word for that one is uh, yeah. off center. Yeah. Well, it, but it, but seriously though, if someone's the other thing that's a little bit surprising to this, especially if you're used to like a lot of these like American-made, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, comedies that are coming of age stories. This one is an Irish film, and it has a grittier vibe oh, to absolutely. it the entire yeah. time. Like the family, the dynamics are sometimes really hard to watch. Uh, it's not as polished. In in a good way as like a Hollywood movie. It has edges and it kind of, um, you know, but that I feel like makes the like sentimentality of it even more. Effective. Oh, sure. And one of the things that's fascinating to me about this film is that there's all kind of, like you said, gritty things happening to this kid and his brother. Uh, you know, the family is in the middle of a split. Uh, this is in a poor economy uh, in Ireland. People are fleeing uh, to London and other places just to find work. This family's home is about to get foreclosed, etc. Um, but they never make a huge deal about that in the film though. Like it keeps happening and you keep yeah. seeing these things happen. Uh, but the kids, uh, emotions and the reason they're making music seems to not be directly connected to that or connected to it in the way that we would typically see it, um, in, in a movie that we typically see. Well, in his latest book, Executing Grace, author and activist Shane Claiborne further makes the case that being against the death penalty is an essential part of the holistic pro-life ethic. Not only does the book look at systemic problems with how the death penalty is carried out in America, he also examines the spiritual implications of advocating for the killing of people made in God's image. Coming in at number 32, Executing Grace by Shane Claiborne. The more that I looked at the death penalty, the more I saw that this is kind of a, a Pandora's box. You know, it opens up a whole lot of other 
really important um, issues uh, like race uh, and economic inequity and how the, the death penalty is applied. Um, even things like the role of government, how much do we trust our government uh, with the power of, uh, you know, an irreversible power over life and death. Um, uh, and the, our history of slavery and uh, uh, racial injustice in this hist- in, 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 the, in our country. That's one of the things I started seeing as I looked at, you know, deeper into the death penalty. But the, 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 other thing I would say is with the death penalty, it raises one of the most fundamental questions of our faith, which is, is any person beyond redemption? Um, and at the end of the day, I think there are a lot of reasons to be against the death penalty. Um, but for a Christian who believes that Jesus died to spare us from death, um, and this idea of grace, or as Scripture says, mercy triumphs over judgment. If we really believe those things, things like Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, it makes it harder and harder to get excited about killing someone, right? So this year, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and California all passed to reinstate the death penalty. And I learned that recently, and I was asking a friend, like, what is the what is the argument here? Like, when I'm if someone's voting for the death penalty, like... What is their logic? And it, I, I discovered recently that surprisingly a lot of people feel like, you know, I shouldn't pay for the worst of people to have, you know, glorified lodging and, you know, provided by the state, um, which I just honestly couldn't couldn't believe. And I still can't wrap my head around. Uh, if uh, Shane makes the case that if you're pro-life because of your faith, <laughs> if you believe that life and human dignity are important um, and we're made in the image of our creator, that if you are against abortion per se, that you have to be against the death penalty as well. That right. he, yeah. that a consistent pro life ethic, and he lays that out in this book brilliantly. This has been a message he's had yeah. for yeah. years, um, and this is really the first time he's written uh, in depth about it. And it's it's an important message to have to consider. Yeah, you can't have that stance and say unless they're sixty and did you know a terrible crime, or unless they're you know they weren't provided the same opportunities as everyone else to grow up in a home where they could learn how to function as like. Uh, member of society. Yeah. The the other thing about this book is it is uh, for anyone that's interested in developing like an ethic that to, to, to bring in a, a stance against the death penalty into their preexisting pro-life ethic. This book is the deepest dive that I've personally encountered into the death penalty, because not only does it break down those spiritual implications, like Cameron was saying, like it's in, you can't have inconsistencies in your pro-life ethic. Exactly. The, yeah. the, the, the other thing that it really breaks down is the problems in how the death penalty is applied. It's, it's, there's an, inherent unfairness to the people mm-hmm. that sit on death row forever uh, until they die naturally and and how the the people that are actually executed die like there's an unfairness that there's it's not effective like he goes into statistically like there is no correlation between a decrease in violent crime and the application of the death penalty to me this it's hard to put the, it's hard to walk away from reading this book and still being pro death penalty even if it's not something that you're spiritually against 
Would you say that this book eschewed the no, the normal <laughs> Christian narrative about? I would. It's. I'm actually here, camera. I'm actually looking at it on my bookshelf right now, and it's sitting slightly askew. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I just read it and put it back. I think we need to look at. I just threw it back. Need to look up this word again. I feel like it's getting. Yeah, I think it needs to be referenced. It's getting out of control. At just 20 years old, British singer Lapsley is already making her mark on the world of pop music. A songwriter, producer, and singer, she first came to the attention of fans after posting songs she'd recorded in her bedroom, eventually garnering hundreds of thousands of plays online. Her breakout debut album, Long Way Home, dropped in March, quickly established her as one of the most unique voices of 2016. Coming in at number 31, Lapsley's Long Way Home. So if you're gonna hurt me, why don't you hurt me a little bit more? Just dig a little deeper, push a little That is such a cool song. Like every time I like re-listen to Lapsley, you know, her her album came out in the in the spring, so it was kind of in heavy rotation then. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, man, this is such a good album. And I can't believe the person that is the creative force behind this is. She, no, she old. no. The person that was creative force behind it at, when she made it was 18. Yeah, like and, I, and she wrote it. She yeah, yeah. wrote it in her bedroom of her parents' house. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just like yeah. was a kid making music in her bedroom and that's the album that came out of it yeah. I mean that's just crazy yeah. to me mm-hmm. I I, ha- I have a hot take that uh, I, I, you guys may or may not disagree with like most hot takes <laughs> that is correct that I would say those are definition. our options after you give a hot take that we may or may, <laughs> not, may not disagree with it after your hot take I took I'm a real risk there like trying to agree with project I'm gonna what you guys are gonna think the normal take. response <laughs> and just agree with it I may or may not agree with that okay Fair enough. Or you could just sit silently and just be in awe of how hot that cake was. <laughs> or not. Both I are mean, I mean, because honestly, that's probably what's going to happen. It's gonna, I'm going to just roast. It's going to be a roasting hot take. A few years ago, the artist that was in a similar situation that, re, you know, kind of recorded stuff on her own, was super young, uh, uh, you know, and, and released it and just kind of took the, the music world by storm was Lord, right? And Lord totally blew up. Yeah. Lapsley, in terms of popularity, isn't at the same place as Lord, but I think her debut album is better. Oh, much better. Boom. Sizzle. Yeah, Let that soak yeah. in, guys. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You're preaching I mean, the choir. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that, that's a medium take. That's not yeah, that hot. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. What I like about Lapsley is that... Um, She's got the voice to back up her music in a way that similar artists don't. I love her bringing this big, full-bodied, warm, uh, almost classically trained feeling vocals to her music that I think adds like a richness to it. And then when you add a lot of the other textures to the music as well, I think that's what makes it next level. He doesn't call me, so put me Cameron, did you see Lapsley at Lollapalooza? Not only did I see her perform, I saw her backstage. Mm. And 
it took me a moment to realize that she was famous because she just looked like a normal kid <laughs> backstage at Lollapalooza. Yeah. She looks so much younger in real life than, than her album cover. I mean, it's it's jarring how, yeah. how young she looks. And she was, you know, obviously, you write an album in your bedroom, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're performing at Lollapalooza. She was kind of overwhelmed by the moment. Yeah. You know, it was, it was funny to see. Well, that's what I was going to ask awesome. because, like, I remember seeing Lord the summer after she kind of broke through. Do you feel like, uh, like, based on her performance, no. like she has a, no. she still has a long way to go in terms of like developing Correct. as an artist? Yes. Lord was on the main stage and she was a superstar almost overnight. Yeah. I mean, and she's, she owned the stage and, uh, you know, that, that performance was unreal. She's an amazing live performer. Swift squad. Yeah. So. Well, she was then too. Is she, is she making music? Um, <laughs> new music? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure she's going to come out with something <laughs> soon. La- but Lapsley, <laughs> Lapsley was a very good performer, in, uh, but not it didn't have that that it, superstar it factor, you know. Mm-hmm. I think we're just going to get a really good career, great music from her, but I don't think she's going to become like mm-hmm. top of the pop charts, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this album is a phenomenal debut, mm-hmm. uh, no matter her age at all. It's just amazing. It's it's cool because it's like a, a more modern. She has the British. Like she's got this British sensibility. Yeah, people have compared her to like the younger Adele. Young Adele, yeah. right? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, young Adele, yeah. but like which can be cooler. kind of a weird reference. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because she's got that edge. production yeah. edge too. Mm-hmm. She she's like making the music. She's just not like singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I think that's what kind of like stands out. Why the album stands out to me is because you can tell she as a vocalist is close to the production. Because sometimes when there's an artist, even if it's like a really good artist, like like the Justin Bieber's last album, those are good songs. But it seems like he's not as close to the creation of the music as some, oh, yeah. someone like where, where it's, you know, made by a producer and, and kind of given to him as someone like Lapsley, where the vocals feel so tied to the production of the music that you realized how impressive of a, you know, creative force she is. There's a lot of songs on this album where even though she does have a Adele kind of vocal range mm-hmm. that she can powerhouse this thing, mm-hmm. she doesn't like on, yeah. on this song falling short. Because you took something from yourself Come back to this route and take your heart a higher self Heart a higher self Because you took something away from yourself Come back to this route and take your heart a Based on the true story first told in ESPN in an ESPN magazine feature, Queen of Katwe tells the story of a Christian missionary played by David Oyelowo who teaches Ugandan children living in the slums to play chess. After meeting a young woman named Fiona, both of their lives change forever as she becomes an internationally recognized champion. The critically acclaimed movie is about faith, perseverance, poverty, and ultimately believing in yourself. Coming in at number 30, The Queen of Katwe. Why are you letting her win? I'm not letting her. You can see it moves ahead. Checkmate. 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 She won. You could be the best in all of Uganda. Good. How can I become a champion? Sometimes the place you are used to is not the place you belong. You belong where you believe you belong. Where is that for you? Your sneak attacks. This is not the ghetto. I don't need to sneak. Checkmate. This year's gold medalist, Fiona Mute. I would like this all to just stop 
and and appreciate what Jesse just did in that read. There was a lot of complicated words. Ironically, that was a minefield. Ironically, the one that kept tripping him up, take after take, was the word champion. We don't understand why that one was so hard. David took a few takes. Champion. <laughs> he kept it's going up. Keen of Katway, right? Keen is that the key? Is it like yeah. a funny? Yeah, spelling, all the difficult right? words he did fine. It was all the simple ones that tripped him up. <laughs> it was very weird. Which happens, you know, you, th- you psych yourself up for the big right. words. Yeah. Exactly. You, you get you know? to like a David or or yeah. It's queen, like in fourth grade, then... I got to the finals of the spelling bee, and I lost on the word grocery because you, I overcomplicated it. Have you ever I'll seen never... one of those videos of like a cycle race where the dude is like he's one he's coming down the home stretch of the Tour de France? And yeah. he's just, he sits up both hands off the wheel and he starts fist pumping, right? Yeah. And he's celebrating premature. He's already yeah. reaching for that <laughs> glass of champagne and some other yeah. guy from like the Netherlands Zoom. just zips by him. That's what happened. I got too cocky. I flew a little too close to the sun there. I was, I was fist pumping reaching at the, for finish the line and that Swede just I overtook me. Yeah. So Aaron, what do you think of Queen of Katway? <laughs> You know, Queen of Catway is one of those movies uh, that I think is particularly interesting because when you go into it, um, you're not sure what to expect. So a movie about a young girl becoming a chess champion, in my opinion, is not the most interesting premise for a movie. And and, and it's a Disney movie. So it's and, like one of those like, OK, right. I didn't think it would be that great because it's like a like Swiss family Robinson exactly but it's one of those movies that the character development the ultimate story itself uh, awesome actors in Lupita Nyong'o and David Oyelowo uh, they put their performance together into this story and it became a movie that's really awesome. And it's, well, but, it's but you're talking about two actors who are two of the, you know, most decorated young actors and da- David oh, Oyelowo yeah. has already been nominated for an Academy Award and Lupita Nyong'o has already won one. Oh, absolutely. In every, in every movie, they're in, both of them are highly selective. We've talked to both. Both are highly selective actors uh, in the roles they'll take. So it's becoming one of those things where if you see a movie with either of one of them in it, you can expect a certain level of quality, not only in, in uh, the storytelling itself, but actually the story uh, in and of itself. And, and because they're only putting their work behind certain projects. And this movie delivered on that. I mean, I, th- I thought it was very good uh, and very interesting. And I loved the way it portrayed the people of Uganda. Yeah. Yeah, the the one of the great things, the interesting things, like you said, we re- we talked to both of the actors in recent issues of Relevant. But when David Oyelowo talked about his, how he feels, because he is such a committed Christian, mm-hmm. that he seeks out these types of roles, like you were saying, that he's not just going to do like some generic kind of corny faith based film, but he's going to do movies that actually are going to get recognition and spur people uh, to want to know more about the characters he's portrayed. In this case, it's an actual Christian missionary who's dedicated his life to helping people living in the slums mm-hmm. of Uganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this, the movie avoided the two extremes, right? So on one extreme, I think faith-based movies would tend to have, they need to have some big, critical, climactic Jesus moment. This movie uh, avoids that extreme. And on the other side, I think often particularly... You mean uh, like the crucifixion or something, right? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking in particular of, of movies that at the very end, everything works out really well for the person to... You're saying this is no fireproof. Yeah, Just yeah. come out and say I'm, it. Dude. I'm saying this is no fireproof. <laughs> I'm saying what, what's the one that has the new boys in the has Michael Tate and that's it? God's Boys? not dead and all the yes it's not 
it's so you're telling me this movie doesn't movies. end with a 15 minute Newsboys concert? I don't know why we put it on. Our list. <laughs> I, I I mean that it doesn't end in a rainstorm in the middle of the street where hold somebody's on, giving the sandwich prayer. My that's mouth what, is open right now. You two have both seen God's Not Dead. Have you actually I, watched I, I this? I just heard about it. There was like a two minute YouTube. <laughs> I think you watched but, it. Video. But to Aaron's point, if Lupita and David were in God's Not Dead, then that would it be a complete. Awesome. It would have been awesome. I still yeah. think it would have had the same problem where the where the where the screenwriters were like, guys, I we stressed this <laughs> as long as possible. It's forty five minutes. We have no option but a twenty minute newsboy conference <laughs> at the end. The only way this is going to be technically be featured length if we just have the the newsboys vamp for a while. The other thing this movie doesn't do is it doesn't take the missionary character, um, who is Robert Contende in the film. And, uh, played by David Oyelowo. Pay, yep. Played by David Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Um, and, and, and make him any kind of villain or anything that's playing in, in any... They're not suspicious of You were eschewing the normal pronunciation of David Oyelowo's name I, and saying um, Oyelowo. I'm aggressively trying to pronounce it correctly so that everyone around will be like, oh, wait, is that Oyelowo? This is the pronunciation <laughs> episode. I think that's what we need to rebrand this in the title. If we could rebrand this one as pronunciations with the relevant crew. Top 50 yeah. pronunciations. Top 50, <laughs> yeah. 50 words we like to pronounce. <laughs> this is actually sponsored by that little button on dictionary.com where you just ask it to pronounce words for you. I, at this so point, I don't you're welcome, everyone. Take. I think the only take there was that I liked that they're portraying this missionary's work as something really positive. Yeah. Well, Daily Show alum Samantha B stormed into the late night scene in 2006 with some of the most biting and unflinching satire and social commentary on TV. Her show is edgy, funny, and presents a news-focused comedy that has more punch than even more established political satire outlets. Coming in at number 29, Full Frontal with Samantha B. The way we're panicking about the influx of refugees, you'd think the government was putting a Syrian in every American home. So <laughs> let me just lay a little math on you. In the five years since the Civil War began, more than four million Syrians have fled their country. The U.S. has pledged to accept 10,000 of them, less than a quarter of 1%. To put that in perspective, that's 10 times less than the acceptable amount of wood pulp in your Parmesan cheese. <laughs> but hang on, mathletes, I'm not done. Of those 10,000, only about 2,000 have actually been resettled here. Yeah, Samantha B. I, they're, they're, the late night landscape is filled with people who do like really funny, biting political satire. I mean, we, a little while ago, uh, a few weeks ago, we heard from John Oliver, and John Oliver's take is smart and interesting every week. But S Samantha B. went to the Syrian border to visit with refugees. Like, the wow. one thing that I feel like a lot of those shows right now are missing is sort of that, that like <clears throat> journalistic that. ethic that takes the comedian out of the studio and puts them with the people they're talking about every week every week that uh, her show is on samantha b is actually visiting with the people that she's you know uh either roasting before some you know social cause or political belief or people that are the victims of some type of injustice she's actually going to them uh which i feel like is a significant thing where because it's easy to write jokes and sit behind a desk you know um but but to you know see the perspective of people that that are, you know, either the butt of these jokes or the people that these jokes are trying to shed a new perspective on uh, is is no small thing. Yeah. And she's I mean, she's gotten the reputation of being like the angry comic, um, but this is a year where there's a lot to be angry about. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of like really tapped a nerve of how the country's feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's interesting. Like when we look back on this era of television mm -hmm. and whatever, I think her commentary 
will stand out as being very important and mm-hmm. representative of the the time we're in. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And Jesse, I think like she's bringing a part of that legacy that made the Daily Show so phenomenal um, to her reporting because that's yeah. kind of what John Stewart Stewart did, right? He went to go. Um, visit the people that he was interviewing and really get in depth with the issues before he made commentary on them. And I was reading a, an interview recently where her staff, uh, once the election results came in, they just had to, they were talking about how they were completely sleepless. They couldn't even process their own emotions or their own thoughts about the election, but they were just had to think, okay, what are we going to provide our viewers to kind of process this and move forward themselves and how they had to just, you know, rise up to that. And that, I can't even imagine well, that. Well, the, the other thing, too, is like she's one of the people that it's like, obviously, you, you know, when you watch, it's like, well, I can't support every opinion she has or every joke that she tells. But that doesn't mean I think her voice should be disqualified, because I think even on issues that, you know, are more polarizing, um, I think she presents an opinion that even if you don't agree with, you should be aware of. And she's a smart person. And like I said, even if like her position on a certain issue isn't exactly where you would fall, it's good to understand where she's coming from because it can help inform your own opinion even if it's different yeah and of course you know the the late night comedy landscape is male dominant to say the least and you know uh when last year david letterman exited his show uh, he made the comment i think when when they made the announcement about um stephen colbert replacing him that we you know we need more women in late night comedy and the speculation has been that uh, it probably wouldn't work not necessarily because there aren't women who are qualified or competent to do it but because mass audiences would just wouldn't pay attention so to see samantha Mm -hmm. b receiving the uh, that was what people were saying of why CBS didn't take that risk. Or, he's not or saying any other that. mainstream. Yeah, he's network. he's not saying no, no, that's but correct. That's, but that's but an that's executive. Why it's, well, that's you know. great. Why oh, the sure, show is the, yeah, that's yeah. the whole Breaking point out. is that it's encouraging to see Samantha B getting audience reception uh, and the amount of buzz that people uh, seem to have about the show uh, just because of that. You know, I mean, she's carrying the mantle of John yeah. Stewart, uh, the mantle that Trevor Noah yeah. is not, oh, and, and it's just like it's a bummer that they went to an outsider and gave an outsider of the show and, yeah. and not her. She yeah. should have yeah. taken over that desk mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, but. and you know, and it's in a slightly different direction. It's interesting to me to see that, you know, once Conan O'Brien went uh, basic cable with kind of the whole late night thing, uh, it's becoming more more mainstream, and so I imagine we'll continue to see the proliferation of late night comics get spread even further out. Which, of course, should mean that uh, the the best and brightest rise to the top. Part of Drake's influential OVO label, Toronto duo Majid Jordan created one of 2016's best R&B albums with their self-titled debut, laced with nods to 80s synth pop and filled with big ballads that show off their vocal range. The album is a standout, even on a label known for showcasing groundbreaking artists. Coming in at number 28, the self-titled album from Majid Jordan. I in my head I pictured this going differently I meant every word that I said You should have spent more time listening All the things that I put a hold on All for you to hit me with a hold on What makes you so ready right now? After I waited on you for so long Why you wanna be my love? Is it just for
So, Cameron, I know this is one that was in heavy rotation with you. Uh, yeah, this spring. I mean, because uh, uh, Magic Jordan, these two guys are producers on OVO. So a lot of the Party Next Door stuff and even Drake stuff are songs that these guys mm-hmm. wrote and produced. And so it's cool to see them kind of do their own thing and with you know their vocals and their own project. It was cool. Um, this year was really a year of OVO. Yeah, I mean, like, sure. you know... Toronto's, you know, urban music scene from the weekend and and obviously Drake and all that. I mean, it's just changing the the game. Uh, Magic Jordan is the only representation we have of that on our list because it's the only album that came from that ecosystem that's not explicit. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's kind of representative of the uh, impact of the OVO year. Of OVO, yeah, yeah the year of OVO. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it's a great okay. album too. I mean, it's a great R and B album. Soul. It's eclectic. It's modern. It's 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 progressing the genre, and that's why it's on our list. And you can tell their signature sound is all over the OVO label. Oh, like that yeah. moody, you know, like. It's like deconstructed. deconstructed. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so cool. So good. I think it's interesting how it worked out that they're the representative on this list of like OVO label because. This album, like, I feel like is at, like an extension of that signature sound where it has, it does have those heavy beds of like 80s synth and it has like real driving beats. And, you know, I, I feel like that's when you, when you, when you look at what sets OVO and, and kind of Drake's crew apart, it's not just their ability as like MCs, right? It's just not, uh, uh how good of rappers or even with Majid Jordan, how good of singers they are. It's, they have such a unique signature sound that they progress with every album that like you said Cameron it's it's advancing an entire genre and they're doing something that no one else is you could listen to almost any artist on their label and know that they're with OVO yeah and I don't know what it is but if you're a girl and you're listening to Majid Jordan or any of the OVO guys you just feel like your hair looks good you feel like you're glowed up (laughs) really your boyfriend's texting you I feel like that too (laughs) 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 your life is good like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no i get it it's like you just feel good it's like yeah. you roll your windows down driving it's like i don't know so it's, it's it's positive it's positive music what what's yeah. that look on your yeah, face hamburg i, I want to see the science behind behind the feeling like your hair looks good when you listen to maji jordan you just there no, is you no just science like, it's all like feeling and they've captured it you with feel a catalog like, in my head of all the songs i've heard in my whole entire life <laughs> and i don't think i've ever <laughs> Certain songs like just give you a little good now. pep in your step. Yes. You're like Dolly exactly. Parton's nine to five, just <laughs> gives, gives you the gumption to just get up and go in the morning. And then Magic Jordan is just feeling like you look good when going out on a Friday night. I'll tell you what, I'm playing that song, those songs tonight because. <laughs> <laughs> Got a big day. Like, I'm gonna try, Cameron, I'm gonna try and was, experience this feeling of you know what, Aaron, you uh, you're looking good now. You're looking good now. Cameron, the first time he heard this, he had his earbuds in. He was on his motorcycle, and, and he just felt like he needed to pull a wheelie right there. He's never tried one before. Into disaster, something filled him with the confidence. It felt like he was just going to keep album. going up and just fly. fly <laughs> yeah, I could go right to the clouds right now. Just punch it. Just go, man. And that's why it's made number twenty-eight on our list. Yeah, there you go. the Netflix. 
Mystery Stranger <laughs> Things was one of 2016's true pop culture breakouts. So big. The addictive sci-fi series combines Steven Spielberg-style storytelling with a Stephen King-style story. Ooh, Stephen and Stephen. Hey, these bios are write themselves. I'm coming up with, you know, I'm going to keep these things hot and fresh. And notice no pronunciation landmarks. How do you pronounce Stephen King? Stephen? Stephen? The result is, and I'm not even finished with it. Listen to this. The result is one of the most binge friendly mysteries of the year. Hello. Coming in at number 27, Stranger Things. When's the last time you heard from Lonnie? Uh, last I heard, he was in Indianapolis. That was about a year ago. But he has nothing to do with this. Right, why don't you give me his number? You know, Hopper, he has nothing to do with this. Trust Joyce, me. Joyce, 99 out of 100 times, kid goes missing. The kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of 100. What about the other time? Joyce. The one. The one. Joyce, this is Hawkins. Okay. You want to know the worst thing that's ever happened here in the four years I've been working here? Do you want to know the worst thing? It was when an owl attacked Eleanor Gillespie's head because it thought that her hair was a nest. Okay, fine. I will call Lonnie. He will talk to me before he talks to a cop. Just find my son, Hop. Find him. How how many of you guys who started Stranger Things watched it in the over the course of two days? Uh, within within twenty four hours, hours. you yeah. guys. I was able to watch one per week, so I'm probably more. Wow, that's a lot of self control. <laughs> no, see, I went home. Everybody in our I, office, everybody in our office was talking about it there for like a couple weeks yeah, or whatever. Right, and so I went home. It was a Friday night. I said to my wife Hannah, "We're gonna watch the show." And like two episodes in, we we're like, I don't know, let's give it a third. And then after after the third, and we stayed up the rest of the night and watched it. it so one, had, one so sitting. Good. One sitting, whole series. Here's how I know it's not a quality series. sci-fi mystery Season. with like a horror Season. kind of tinge to it. Is that Cameron not only watched it, but he watched it in one <laughs> setting. It, because you, you, this isn't usually your type of thing, right, Cameron? It's a psychological thriller. It's not a it's, horror thing. I mean, yeah. It's there's a little a, spooky. There's a monster. I don't care. That's the psychological thriller aspect, right? right? I know. I, I, to me, I didn't think, and we said this on the main show when it came out, I didn't think it needed... I didn't even think that the that the scary aspect added to it. I think it would have been just as successful just being it did it was so perfectly executed yeah. as a genre film. They captured that era yeah. so well. The mystery I thought was a big component. I mean cuz that was the Goonies and yeah. things like that. But I didn't think they needed to those last couple episodes where it really was they were chasing a monster. I was kind of like Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I, w- I liked the unknown element more than I enjoyed the conclusion yeah. well, of it. They probably mm-hmm. left a lot out that you'll find out in the. Yeah, season. that's true. Yeah. So it'll that's be interesting true. to see what they do yeah, in the second yeah, wave. And if it's like, truly one sitting, what it's happened like four to in the morning? By the time you're seeing that yeah. stuff, and you haven't slept, <laughs> it's way more. Well, no, it's it way more exciting because and I had, terrifying. I had Cohen that weekend, and so I put it on. He went to bed Friday night. I put it on around nine o'clock, you know, and I'm watching until about four in the morning. Well, he still he still gets up at six or seven in the morning, right? So I have to function during the day. Well, I'm really tired. But now I need to conclude <laughs> this thing, and so mm-hmm. Saturday night mm-hmm. he goes to bed. I finished the thing, and the same thing happened. And then we go to church, and now I'm just yeah. dead the whole week. Oh, it just knocked me off in the week. It's all Stranger the, Things' fault. It is Stranger <laughs> Things' one of, fault. One of my favorite memes from Stranger Things is that she says, "I'm fine," and it's like, "What she really means? What happened to Eleven? What do the waffles mean? Like, what's the, going the, on?" The, so. Oh, absolutely. Well, I say, one of the notable things about the it. series, because there are a lot, it's an interesting story. The style is cool. The music is really cool. But I think it's also really indicative of this new era of the kind of golden age we're in right now, because like a lot of the risk that Netflix has taken or any prestige 
um, outlet has taken up to this point has sort of been within a lot of it, at least has been in either high drama, right? So you look at some of the HBO shows that are just or, or AMC or, you know, you can go across various net, networks uh, or, you know, a lot of them are like crime based. So there's like Breaking Bad, there's Better Call Saul, there's, um, you know, um, I thought you said crying based. Crying based too. That's why. Like, I like yeah, Hallmark, yeah. So, so like, like all the way going back to the Sopranos, right? Like it's been these big crime epics. Where Netflix, this was a pretty big risk because they're not only doing uh, something that is sci-fi based that has that's in you know in a style from the eighties, but it's based on kids. Like it mm-hmm. was something totally fresh, and it was yeah. a huge risk, but it was a huge payoff, and it shows that you know we're not just going to get fifteen Mad Men spinoff set in different little business universes anymore you know there might be a lot of some networks willing to do some really interesting high concept stuff yeah, yeah absolutely but i think you know when it all comes down to it the show rises and falls on the acting and that's where i think stranger things really did well i mean the the rise of like millie bobby brown and uh, finn wolfhard who were the, the two main kids the way they pl- pulled off those roles was i think what made it remarkable i mean and you can see how uh most if not and you know any other kid actors would have made it feel a lot less you you would able to would have been yeah. able to get into the to the story a lot less yeah so and when no, less accessible and Winona Ryder's performance like that was really amazing and nostalgia's yeah. having a moment right now like it you know was reminiscent of Stephen King but also E.T. and the Goonies which it is mentioned. I did you know how most of the nostalgia we're seeing now though is largely 90s based I did imagine like a Netflix meeting somewhere where they're like well you know what's big 90s nostalgia and somebody's 100%. like percent. Oh, what if we do? I, it feels like what if we do very formulaic nostalgia? But it feels very formulaic, like that. Like somebody in a board meeting came up with like mm-hmm. components to it. The fact that it worked, yeah, is actually pretty remarkable. Right. And I think it worked because I mean, even because like it, it, awesome, it really eschewed awesome all of the t- typical. T- <laughs> never mind. It did. Yeah, it really <laughs> it had to hit skewed. all the notes, and it did it because it stayed fully committed to the style the entire time. And it did. It did. Plus, it was fun. I mean, it, it's it's in the streaming era. I feel like it's a lot less common to have a show yeah. that like everybody's talking about. Yeah. But and, you know, even in our office, we were all talking about it, and that's just it added to the fun of the show for me I think and then even like you know my family members who I didn't even know like watch TV they were texting have you you seen Stranger Things yet what do you think happened at the end and you know all those kind of things well guys I got a really fun moment in the year I think next week we're going to be breaking into the top half of our list we're going to be deep into the top 20 next week this thing's getting heat. This thing's heating up right now. I mean, we we we've we've. I feel like already talked about a good lot, a, a lot of good pop culture, wait. and and the the best is yet to come. So, uh, you know, we want to encourage people to check out uh, next week. Take to Twitter at Relevant Podcast. Let you know. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, if you want to debate any picks with us, uh, you're totally no, willing. To no, do we that. don't want to hear from you if you want to debate them. We want to hear you from can, you if you affirm our decisions. <laughs> if you have words of encouragement, that's true. There if that's a, your uh, spiritual gift, after, after uh, a recent <laughs> after a recent podcast discussion, I saw the the hashtag "I'm with Aaron" going around a little bit related to some of the relevant podcast tweets. Oh. Uh, and so anybody who anybody who wants to get that going again, based on my takes on You're the talking about Aaron Rodgers, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Oh. no, I saw there, that too, were, and, were, and I want to say this: I want to thank. I I saw that tweet too. He's he's telling the truth. There was an "I'm with Aaron" tweet, and I want to thank Aaron's mom there for listening multiple. last week. At least four. <laughs> they were at least four. She doesn't stop at one, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to come up your with mom, a sweet well, well, thank you to everyone who tweeted at Aaron, and also thank you to our sponsors, Video Blocks. 
You can get your year subscription today for only $149 at videoblocks.com slash relevant. That's videoblocks, V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash relevant for this discounted offer. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Cameron Strang. Rebecca Joe. I'm Aaron Hambury. I'm Chandler Strang. We'll see everyone next week on Relevant Top 50. 